Hello, and welcome to Morning Prayer at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Edison, New Jersey. I thank God that we are able to be together starting our day in prayer. This is Friday, and we're in the fourth week of the Easter season. Easter is not just one day, it's a season made up of a week of weeks. This week, we continue our reading with the in the Acts of the Apostles, <clears throat> and today we find Paul sharing the good news of Jesus at the very heart of Greek culture and in a world very much ruled by Rome. Please feel free to send me an email with any stories or insights or questions that might arise this week. You can send them to me at pastorjim2006 at icloud.com. And now we begin our time of prayer in silence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, O God, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Praise to the blessed Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, who gives life, salvation, and resurrection. Alleluia. The Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. O come, let us worship and praise. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before God's presence with thanksgiving and raise a loud shout to the Lord with psalms. For you, Lord, are a great God and a great ruler above all gods. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. In your hand are the caverns of the earth. The heights of the hills are also yours. The sea is yours, for you made it, and your hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For the Lord is our God, and we are the people of God's pasture and the sheep of God's hand. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. You have been born anew through the abiding word of God. A reading from Acts chapter 17. Paul and Silas traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Paul went there, as he usually did, and for three Sabbaths he spoke to them, expounding the scriptures interpreting and explaining that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, and that this Jesus that I am announcing to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and threw in their lot with Paul and Silas, including a large crowd of God-fearing Greeks, together with quite a few of the leading women. But the Jews were righteously indignant. They took some villainous men from the marketplace, drew a crowd, and threw the city into an uproar. They besieged Jason's house and searched for Paul and Silas to bring them out to the mob. When they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the Christians before the town authorities. These are the people who are turning the world upside down, they yelled. Now they've come here. Jason has had them in his house. They are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, and they are saying that there is another king, Jesus. When they heard these words, the crowd and the authorities were both greatly agitated. They bound Jason and the others over, and then dismissed them. The Christians in Thessalonica quickly sent Paul and Silas on by night to Berea. 
When they got there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. The people there were more generous in spirit than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with considerable eagerness, searching the scriptures day by day to see if what they were hearing was indeed the case. Many of them became believers, including some of the well-born Greek women and quite a few men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica knew that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea too, they came there as well, stirring up trouble and whipping up the crowd. So the Christians quickly sent Paul away as far as the sea coast while Silas and Timothy remained back. Those who were conducting Paul brought him all the way to Athens, where he told them to tell Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Then they left him there. So Paul waited in Athens. While he was there, his spirit was stirred up as he saw the whole city simply full of idols. He argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearers, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were disputing with him. What can this word scatterer be about? Some were saying. He seems to be proclaiming foreign divinities, declared others, since he was preaching Jesus and Anastasis. Anastasis means resurrection. So they took him up to the Areopagus. Are we able to know, they said, what this new teaching really is that you are talking about? You are putting very strange ideas into our minds. We'd like to find out what it all means. All the Athenians and foreigners who live there spend their time simply and solely in telling and hearing the latest novelty. So Paul stood up in the midst of the Areopagus. Men of Athens, he said, I see that you are in every way an extremely religious people. For I was going along and looking at your object of worship. I saw an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. Well, I'm here to tell you about what it is that you are worshiping in ignorance. The God who made the world and everything in it, the one who is Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in temples made by human hands, nor does he need to be looked after by human hands as though he lacks something, since he himself gives life and breath and all things to everyone. He made from one stock every race of humans to live on the whole face of the earth, allotting them their properly ordained times and boundaries for their dwelling. The aim was that they would search for God and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Indeed, he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. Also, as some of your own poets have put it, for we are his offspring. Well then, if we really are God's offspring, we ought not to suppose that the divinity is like gold or silver or stone formed by human skill and ingenuity. That was just ignorance. But the time for it has passed, and God has drawn a veil over it. Now, instead, he commands all peoples everywhere to repent, because he has established a day on which he intends to call the world to account with full and proper justice by a man whom he has appointed. God has given all people his pledge of this by raising this man from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them ridiculed Paul, but others said, We will give you another hearing about this. So Paul went out from their presence, but some people joined in him and believed, including Dionysius, a member of the court of the Areopagus, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Acts 17 is famous for that account that we just read, Paul's presentation of the gospel at the Areopagus in Athens as part of a debate among the leading philosophic schools of the time, wanting to hear this new thing that he was talking about. But it doesn't seem that it was Paul's intention to go to Athens in the first place. Instead, scholars believe that on this trip, Paul's plan was to get to Rome, The road that led Paul into Thessalonica exits Thessalonica and terminates all the way over at the other coast, just a short sail then on to the Italian peninsula. Instead, though, after the trouble in Thessalonica and Berea, Paul is escorted down the Aegean coast, the opposite coast, and into Athens, where he will await for Silas and Timothy, who had stayed behind to strengthen the faith of the new Christians in the congregations in Berea. Paul wants desperately to journey on to Rome, to strengthen the church there, to share the gospel in the capital of the empire, but the timing is not right for Paul to journey to Rome. Yet, as we've seen all alone, there is no such thing as wrecked plans or missed opportunities when the Holy Spirit is guiding the endeavor. So no matter where he finds himself, Paul sets about telling the good news about Jesus. In the sermon we hear Paul give in Athens, once again shows the master at work, presenting the good news about Jesus the Messiah to a group of people with no prior connection to the story of God and God's people. And yet he presents it in such a way that Jesus has a claim on them, that God has called them to be part of this this new creation that has come about through Jesus' death and resurrection. Of course, at the mention of resurrection, some scoff and ridicule him. But that aspect of the gospel actually remains unchanged, no matter which context Paul is in. Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the fact that he rose again from the dead and appeared to the apostle Paul, vindicates Jesus' cause and demonstrates him to be the one that God has sent to redeem, unite, and as Paul says, judge and bring justice to the world. And because of that, this message of the Messiah's rule can be heard on the surface at least, but even deeper as a challenge to the very claims that the emperor is making. Those charges that were leveled against Paul and Silas, even though they weren't present when the mob made those, those charges that were leveled in Thessalonica are very serious. This is not because Paul and Silas are revolutionaries, or out to incite riots, or to instigate rebellion against Rome, or to cause Rome any trouble in any way but because of the claims of the gospel itself, makes about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus has promised yet to bring about, the Roman authorities can be threatened. What is happening to Paul and Silas and the Christians who now have come to be numbered among Jesus' people is similar to what happened to Jesus himself. Jesus in Jerusalem did speak about raising a new temple in three days. He did speak about the coming of the kingdom of God. The authorities in Jerusalem, both the high priest and the Roman governor, were not given to uh, interpret or debate the nuance or or interpret the depth of Jesus' message and find out exactly how that was supposed to come about. And so it is that in the end now, Paul and the apostles are traveling through Roman provinces, preaching the resurrection and rule of a man who was judged by a Roman judge, condemned by him, and executed by a detachment of Roman soldiers, with the placard above him, here is the king of the Jews. 
the Romans executed, a would-be Messiah. That is the man that Paul and the apostles are preaching throughout these Roman provinces. We can interpret that in all sorts of ways, and we do. But the record stands as it is written, and that makes the proclamation of the gospel dangerous and subversive to Roman authority and to the whole narrative that is being proclaimed about the nature and power of Rome and its emperors. At the end of Acts 17, now the message about Jesus is out in the world. In the world of of global politics, religion, economics, and philosophy. And like the unclean spirits in reacting in Jesus' presence, it seems that everywhere Paul goes, the world starts shouting back, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? What do you think? The good news that brings such comfort to us, that we hear as so life-giving, is heard by others as a threat. And so the apostles are discovering that suffering with Jesus and suffering in love and with forgiveness and out of faithfulness is also part of sharing the good news, part of the commission that they have been sent into the world to bring. In Jesus' name, amen. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. Blessed are you, Lord, the God of Israel. You have come to your people and set them free. You have raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of your servant David. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. Through your holy prophets, you promised of old to save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us, to show mercy to our forebears, to remember your holy covenant. This was the oath you swore to our father Abraham, to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship you without fear, holy and righteous before you all the days of our life. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way, to give God's people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us, to shine on those who dwell in darkness in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Mighty God of mercy, we thank you for the resurrection dawn, bringing the glory of the risen Lord who makes every day new. Especially we thank you for the sustaining goodness of your creation. For the new creation in Christ, for all gifts of healing and forgiveness for the gifts of relationship with others, and for the communion and fellowship of faith in your church. For what else are we thankful? Merciful God of might, renew this weary world, heal the hurts of all your children, and bring about your peace for all in Christ Jesus, the living Lord. Especially we pray, for the afflicted, for the sick, for the grieving and mourning. For those who govern the nations of the world, that they might do so with mercy and wisdom. 
for the people in countries ravaged by strife and warfare. They might know peace. For all who work for peace in international harmony, that their work not be in vain, that it bear fruit, fruit that will last. For all who strive to save the earth from carelessness and destruction, that they would turn our hearts back to our first commission, to tend, care, and love for your creation, and for the Church of Jesus Christ in every land. For who else or for what else do we ask this morning? Almighty and everlasting God, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome in adversity. In all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. Go forth into the world to serve God with gladness. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honor all people. Love and serve God, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Amen.